we are starting a new series for the fall um, entitled Overcoming Hurdles to Faithfulness. Um, so the title of my message today is Find Us Faithful, the Doctrine of Perseverance. The Doctrine of Perseverance. So the first hurdle that we need to face as we're considering the subject of faithfulness is the Bible itself. And uh, let me rephrase that in case some of you think I'm a heretic by saying that. The first hurdle that we have to overcome is the way that we understand God's Word in relationship to perseverance. And so hopefully this will set a groundwork, a framework on which we'll build over the next uh, many uh, weeks as we consider this topic. Um, By way of introduction, most of you know uh, my father went to heaven, home to heaven in January of this year, Uh, and one of my tasks following that uh, was to get his headstone made for the cemetery plot just over here in Washington uh, Park. He had been a missionary, as many of you know, for many years in two different countries, so on the back of his headstone, I put these words, for 38 years, their lives were spent in an unwearied missionary effort to evangelize the people of Scotland and Canada with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I have to admit, the the wording was not original with me. The reason I put it on there is because I had seen it on another tombstone. In fact, I modified it from the wording on the headstone of another missionary, another missionary from Scotland, the missionary by the name of David Livingston, whose headstone is in Westminster Abbey. He had put 30 faithful years in Africa. What makes men like my father, a David, and another man named David, what makes them endure so long in sometimes very difficult situations? In both cases, the men died on the mission field, literally enduring to the end. The Apostle Paul could have been writing his own epitaph in his second letter to Timothy when he spoke these words up out of the dungeon in Rome to Luke, who was listening to him. And he wrote down these words that Paul spoke, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul endured too, as you know, all the way to the end. Tradition tells us actually to a martyr's death under the orders of the Emperor Nero. Another man, Paul, with 30 plus years of following Jesus faithfully. What kept him going all those years after his remarkable conversion on the road to Damascus? You know, when we were thinking about doing a fall preaching series and taking a break from 1 Corinthians, one of the topics we discussed was how the last several years has affected the church. Heather Hills, certainly, but the church in general, the church at large. There have been many challenges that families have faced as a result of COVID and lockdowns, political and racial tension. We've watched with tears as marriages have fallen apart, as people have died, as men and women, once very faithful to the local church, seem to drift away. According to Pew Research, as of March of this year, only two of three regular attenders have returned to the church. And church attendance nationwide in the United States of America has shrunk to now 25% of the population. Why do some keep the faith and persevere to the end while others seem to abandon the faith along the way? 
never finishing what they profess to have started. This morning, I want to lay out for you some biblical teaching concerning this subject of perseverance. It will not be everything that the Bible teaches on the subject. That would be its own series. But I hope that it will, along with the sermons in the weeks to come, help to instill in each one of us a perseverance that endures to the end. I don't know about you, that's what I want. I want to persevere to the end. I hope you do too. To set the stage for this subject, I want to present to you a case study. Imagine two little boys. They both grew up in the same church. They grew up in similar homes. Both sets of parents are believers. They both are regularly engaged in family worship. They both make a profession of faith. As time goes on, one of these little boys, now a young man, stays the course. He serves God. The other, his later teen years, abandons the faith, at least morally. No one would know from his words that he had abandoned the faith. But his life is a reflection that he has. And then a few years later, he begins to tell family and friends, I've rejected the gospel. I reject Christianity. What happened? Let's just say, for sake of argument, both boys have exactly the same IQ. Exactly the same pastors. Exactly the same Sunday school teachers. Very similar parents. What happened? Why does one of these boys stick with it and the other does not? There are all kinds of wrong diagnoses, or at least partially wrong diagnoses. Many people would say, The whole matter comes down to what was in the boy's heart, what was in their will. Really, the difference between the boys is nothing more, nothing less than just a simple level of commitment. One was committed, another wasn't. Other people would say, no, it was all up to God. One had grace, one didn't. Some would say the little boy who fell away simply lost his salvation. Others would say, the little boy never had it to begin with. Some would actually say, what's the big deal? Both of them go to heaven. One of them just goes as a spiritual Christian. The other one goes as a carnal Christian. One misses out on rewards, and the other one gets lots of rewards. Many, many times... Our answers to a difficult issue like this are based on wrong assumptions about the nature of our conversion, about the nature of saving faith, and the doctrine of salvation in general. Some of you have probably answered the question that I've raised already in your minds. You have an answer in your mind as to why you think one of them might have fallen away and one didn't. But the way you answer such a case study reveals and tells a whole lot about your view of salvation. And it's a very personal and a very real conversation to have with our own hearts. We begin to ask questions like, well, if that person could fall away, What about me? And of course, some of us can be so carnally presumptuous, like the Apostle Peter on the night Jesus was betrayed. You remember? Oh, Lord, even if everybody else falls away, I won't. Who was the first one to fall away that night? He was. Even if the whole church falls away, Lord, I won't. I'm dedicated. 
whether it is fear or whether it's presumption, the whole idea of perseverance, being faithful to the end, raises questions about our assurance of salvation. Can I be sure? Should I be sure that I'm sure? Does it mean that I won't fall away? What if I'm sure today and I'm not sure Monday? And it becomes a deeply personal issue, doesn't it? And we all know people who have talked the talk and walked the walk and aren't anymore. Every one of us, if you name the name of Christ, must come to grips with this biblical teaching of perseverance. It's important. It's personal. It's real. It's not just a case study. Now, why is this issue so difficult? Why is it so controversial? Why why do you have some people that say, if you don't persevere, you fall away and you lose your salvation? You have other people that say, no, that's not going to happen. Well, I want to show you with your own eyes today why this issue is so critical and so controversial. You know, as you read your Bibles, you you begin to quickly realize that there are two very different sets of texts. There's one set of passages that seem to teach on a plain reading that salvation is conditional on our staying faithful to the end. And there are warnings that we may not do that and lose what we have. Then on the other hand, we have many other passages that seem to teach on plain reading that God, by His grace, keeps all of those who are His. And He keeps them safe and secure. Now, I want to show you some of these passages this morning. So this is going to be a bit of a Bible study, a bit of a doctrinal study. So keep your Bible, uh, if you've got it in a book form or electronic form, keep it ready and nimble. And uh, we're going to look at several of these that, 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 that show, I want to show you both sets. So we're going to start with some of the passages that seem to teach you could lose your salvation or um, that salvation is conditional on you staying faithful all the way to the end. I want to start in the Gospel of Mark. So let's go to Jesus in Mark chapter 13 and verse 13. Jesus says something here very clearly to his disciples. The plain reading is clear. Look at Mark chapter 13 and verse 13. Here's the words of Jesus. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Notice very clearly the second part of that verse. The one who endures to the end, he will be saved. What's the the verb tense of that last statement? He will. What is that? It's a future tense, isn't it? So, so what is the implication here? If you endure to the end, you will be saved? So what is the corollary to that? If you don't endure to the end, don't have any expectation of being saved. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, familiar verses. John 15, again, the words of Jesus to his disciples toward the end of his ministry as he's getting them ready for his death on the cross. John 15, 5 and 6. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. We like that verse. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches, the withered branches, are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Look at the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Romans 8, verse 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul writes, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Listen to this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And in the context of Romans 8, to die and to live is not just physical life and physical death. It is spiritual life and spiritual death. Look over at Romans 11, verse 22. Paul's talking about the the olive tree here. He's using an illustration of the nation of Israel as this olive tree, and then these wild branches that have been grafted onto the tree. That's us. That's the Gentiles. And the natural branches, in some cases, have been cut off. And look at verse 22. Paul says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Ah, I told you, we can't get away from it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. First Corinthians 9.26, Paul says, So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, listen to this, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And that word disqualified doesn't mean disqualified from being an apostle. It means disqualified from being a Christian. It means reprobate. Are you getting a little uneasy yet? These texts are not designed to comfort our little hearts. Colossians chapter 1. You'll be reading tomorrow and Wednesday in our community Bible study, Bible reading. Colossians 1 verse 21 through 23. Colossians 1, 20 through 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Hallelujah. But don't stop there. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Look back to the book of Hebrews, where we read just a few moments ago. Scariest book in the whole Bible, Hebrews. Look at chapter 3. Starting in verse 12. Hebrews 3.12. The author writes, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away 
from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. Yes, we have. If. Indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Chapter 6 that we just read a little bit ago. One of the hardest chapters in all the Bible. Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Listen to the description of these people. They are enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. The book of Hebrews is loaded with these kinds of passages. This is enough to make you lose sleep at night. Hebrews 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Chapter 12 and verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness of the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Second Peter, chapter 2. A couple pages to the right. Almost done. Second Peter, chapter 2, verse 20. Second Peter, 2.20. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, after they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returned to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. First John. First John can't have a verse like that, right? Written by the wonderful, meek apostle of love. First John chapter 2. Look at verse 3. First John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Last one, Revelation 21. Revelation 21, almost the end. Revelation 21, verse 7 and 8. Revelation 21, verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake 
that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All right, brothers and sisters, if we're going to be honest with our Bibles, we cannot act like these texts are not in the Bible. They are there. If we're going to be honest with our Bibles, we have to read these texts and not try to simply reinterpret them or water them down or change the meaning of them. But there's another set of texts. Texts that appear to teach that because of God's grace, He will indeed preserve all of those who are truly His to the end. Would you like to see some of those? John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Let's be honest. We like this set better than the first one. John chapter 6, verse 37. John 6, verse 37. John six thirty-seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Look at chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 27. John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Romans chapter 8. Paul must be a little double-minded because we were in Romans 8 already, looking at the other side of things. But look what else he says in Romans 8. Verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. One of the most wonderful verses in all the Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look down at verses 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. These two verses are often called the golden chain of salvation. Everyone who's foreknown is predestined. Everyone who is predestined is called. Everyone who's called is justified. Everyone who's justified is glorified. No one drops through the cracks. Look down at verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. In fact, since you and I would fall into the category of everything else, anything else in all creation... You yourself can't separate yourself from the love of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just to the right, a few pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're in the middle of a longer sentence here. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Who will sustain you To the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Great verse. Just a few more. Philippians chapter 1. You'll read this in our community Bible reading this week. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. 
Philippians 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The one who started the work committed to finishing the work. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. First Peter, last one. First Peter 1. First Peter 1. And verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept, guarded in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded, same word, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only is your inheritance guarded and kept for you, you are guarded and kept for your inheritance. Now, that's not what we normally do on a Sunday morning. I don't usually read all these texts. Today, I wanted you to hear the weightiness of both sides of this very difficult subject of perseverance. It's not simply fair to say to those people who believe you can lose your salvation, you're simply ignoring what the Bible has to say. It's not fair to say that on its own. You see how they might accuse us of the very same thing? The obvious challenge is how do you take both sets of passages and make sense of them in such a way that you do justice to what the Bible is saying? That is our task. Now, because this is the perfect Word of God, there's a caution that we have to realize right off the bat, and that's this. If we cannot make sense of these two sets of passages, the problem is not in the text. The problem is in us, right? The Bible is the inspired Word of God. God's Word doesn't stop being God's Word for one millisecond just because Brian McCrory can't figure it out. So this requires an element of humility, doesn't it? Now, the reason that there are different views on this is because, to boil it all down, because people handle the warning passages differently. So I want to lay out for you this morning the different views regarding perseverance. And I'll tell you the one that I, that I hold to. But let's go through these views today so you understand them, and that hopefully the Word of God will make sense of this to your heart and encourage you, actually, today, as we go on into this fall, to build and learn how to be more faithful, how to persevere to the end. The first view is, is uh, we could call it the loss of salvation view. So this view says a person can be truly converted, truly saved, then fall away from grace and be eternally lost. They can be saved, and then they can lose it and be lost. In this view, the warning passages are telling you, you may not make it. And so, it's as if you're going down the path, right? You're running your race. You're heading toward the prize, heaven, eternal life, salvation. And something happens, whatever it may be, And you fall away and you get off the path. You start the race, but you don't finish the race. And so you lose the prize. You don't receive the prize. 
Second view. Uh, it's one that we're probably very familiar with. It, it would be called the loss of rewards view. The loss of rewards view. So this view would say uh, they would believe uh, once saved, always saved. Now there's an element of that that I would agree to as well, but not the way these people use it. This view is that a person might be converted, but fall away, bear no fruit, and yet still be saved. They simply won't get any rewards. A backslidden Christian, their whole life, but they still get to heaven. This is the view of what we might call easy believism. You've heard of that term before, right? And so the warning passages to these people are simply about whether you get rewards or not. It's not about whether you get to heaven. So now how you can read those warning passages that we just read this morning and think that the only thing that's at stake is reward is beyond me. But, but there are people that hold that view. Another view, uh, we could call it not-going-to-happen view. Okay? This view says all the warning passages are all hypothetical. What they're, what they're saying is, if it were possible to fall away, but it's not, then this is what would happen. So it's a hypothetical. If you did fall away, this is what it would look like. But it's not going to happen. So all those warning passages lose their teeth, they lose their power, they do nothing more than tell you what might have happened if it could have happened, and if it possibly would have happened to you. Another view, uh, the one that we're probably the most familiar with, maybe, is we might call it the test of genuineness. The test of genuineness. This view affirms all true believers will be preserved by God, and they will persevere all the way to the end. We would agree with that, right? But the warning passages in this particular view are simply designed to cause you to examine yourself to see if you are a Christian or not, to see if you're in the faith. So in this view, you would start to run your Christian race, and you're constantly turning around and running backwards. You know, you're going the right direction, but you're running backwards. You know what I mean? You're looking back to see whether or not your own salvation experience was real, was genuine. You're always checking. You're always, doubt. You're always in doubt. You're always looking back to try to affirm. Was, was it real? A- am I really a Christian? Am I really born again? Do I really believe? So in this view, if, if, if the person falls away along the way, it shows that they weren't really real. Now, now, I'm going to tell you there's an element of truth in this view. But notice the way that the race is run. It's not looking forward to the prize. But it's constantly looking backwards, examining yourself to see if you're in Christ. And that's, the Scripture tells us that we need to do that. But this is, this is a, a way of living that is constantly doubting your salvation. And I think there's a better way. And it's, and it's the final view I want to share with you. What we're going to call simply the means of salvation view. The means of salvation view. This view says that salvation has two realities to it. There's an already, and then there's a not yet. Most of us, when we think of our salvation, we think of it as something that happened in the past. We think of it as a, a past event, right? But some of the passages that we just read this morning indicate that it's not just a past event, is it? It's a future event as well. There's something that will be revealed. There's something that we're heading towards. So you are being saved, and you will be saved. Peter says... He puts it this way, we are awaiting a salvation yet to be revealed on the last day. Paul puts it this way, our redemption is nearer 
now than when we first believed. It's already we're saved and not yet. So now, now follow me. This view with regard to the warnings and the threats of Scripture about falling away, the, the way that we view these warnings is that they are a means of perseverance to us. So this Christian enters into the Christian life, the already. They have the prize, eternal life, secure, right? Justified. And they're running their race, and they're putting one foot in front of the other. And what happens is the promises of God, all those wonderful parts, you know, that second group of passages that we like, yeah, we like those, you know. Those promises of God that he will keep us, that he will get us to the end, they fuel our faith all the way along the way. They give us the confidence that we need to run with assurance. We're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're looking forward. The threats and the warnings of Scripture keep us from turning back. They keep us from turning back. This person will look at those threats that we read about, those very severe, serious threats, and they will not just say, those are for somebody else. So why does this person run with perseverance? Because those warnings, those admonitions, those threats, they serve as a motivation to keep us running, to keep us moving. Now, that may bring up more questions than answers to you. What about this person? Uh, what about that person? Uh, what about my own life? I've got questions. This message is not going to answer all your questions, okay? But what I want to present to you today as we, as we bring this to a close is what I'm going to call the first two steps toward overcoming hurdles to faithfulness. And it starts here in the Word. So the first step is, is very simply, do not emphasize one set of passages to the neglect of the other set. Just don't do that. Even if you can't reconcile it all in your mind, and you start to get, you know, theological charley horses and, and brain cramps, you know, you're wondering, how can this be? How can these two kinds of verses exist in the Bible? Let me urge you, with all seriousness, don't emphasize one set over the other. Because we tend to gravitate toward one or the other. And most of us, I think, in here would gravitate toward the promises, wouldn't we? And there are others of you, you know, there's some of you that, you know, when we read those promises... Your heart was just filled with joy. I love to hear those promises. Give me more of those promises. Uh, you know, you, you didn't have to read those other verses, Brian. Uh, you could have left those out today. Just let's just read the promises, right? But there's others of you in here who may be more of the, you know, the marine type, you know? And you're like, I love those threats. Give me that, you know, give me that blood and guts damnation text. Give me some more of that. That's what we need in this church. But don't emphasize, whatever you gravitate toward, don't emphasize one over the other. Don't neglect the whole counsel of God. That's step number one. The second step, don't emphasize one set of passages in such a way that it it unnaturally squeezes the other set in to fit your view. You see the difference? Some of us just like one set of these verses more than the other. And so those are the ones that we emphasize. Other people, you know, we want to be a little more faithful with the Word of God. We say, you know, we like the promises, once saved, always saved, yeah, until we look at all these other ones, you know. And we're like, oh, Second Peter 2. <laughs> that always bothers me. So we're going to take Second Peter 2, and we're going to try to make it fit over here with John 10. And we're going to work some... We're going to work some verbal magic in here, and we're going to, we're going to, make, them fit. We're going to make it work somehow. We're going to make this less warning, and we're going to make this a little less comforting, and we're going to smush them together somehow. And I'm going to go out and find some, 
some commentary or some uh, preacher that says something in the way that makes it work for me. Don't do that. Don't try to unnaturally squeeze them together to fit whatever kind of view you're trying to put forward. Brothers and sisters, there are precious promises to those who believe that they will be saved and that they will make it safely to heaven. And we cherish those promises. But there are also serious calls to those who profess faith to persevere to the end. And there are serious consequences if you don't. There are real threats against apostasy. There are real warnings against shipwrecking our faith. And let me say very clearly, as to my knowledge, there are no promises anywhere in God's word that says, no matter how you live, if you prayed a prayer one time, you're going to get to heaven anyway. Those promises don't exist. So we've got both sides. And I'm appealing to us today to embrace both sets of texts as God's word because God gave them to us for a reason. The truth is there is a lot of presumption in the evangelical church today, brothers and sisters. And I believe we do need a good dose of the warnings and the threats. We need to be sobered up. But we also need the promises too. Here's the bottom line. The Bible clearly teaches that if you are truly saved, you will persevere to the end. You will. God will make it happen. If people fall away along the way, the Bible addresses that too. 1 John 2.19, we haven't read this morning. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are all, that they all are not of us. That's pretty clear, right? People who don't persevere, who end up falling away from the faith, were never truly saved to begin with. Now, I want to quickly say this. Can you and I see into someone's heart? No. The answer is no. Okay? Only God can do that, right? So it's certainly true. Many of us have, have known situations like this where someone can seemingly fall away from the faith for a long time and yet come back to Christ before they reach the end of their life. I've seen that. Haven't you seen that? And that's why we continue to pray for those who appear to have fallen away. Because we pray for repentance. We pray for restoration. That does happen. That's a God thing. That's not an us thing. It's not up to us to know who is in and who is out. That's above our pay grade. That's God's business. But what is clear is that true followers of Jesus, like you and me, we need the promises. I need the promises to assure me, and I also need the warnings to keep me going, to motivate me. And in the weeks to come, we will think together about several of the specific hurdles, obstacles that we face in life that have the potential to get us stopped or off track, and how we can overcome those obstacles and persevere to the end for the glory of God. I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up for our final song. Just a couple thoughts while they're coming. We've not worked hard this morning to make sense of all those different texts and how they work together. That would take a long time. But it is enough for us today to know that there are promises and there are warnings. And both are relevant to each person claiming to be in Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 encourages us, Therefore, since we are surrounded 
by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, let us all be challenged afresh today, this morning, to run the race that is set before us with endurance. Let's be challenged to do that. Over the last few years, some of us, spiritually speaking, took way too many naps and took too many detours off the path. Didn't make much progress in the race. That's evident in the church. Let's all be challenged today afresh to run the race with endurance, with perseverance, laying aside every sin, every weight that drags us down. Let Hebrews chapter 6, in final, uh, final thought, there are a couple of verses in Hebrews 6 which are encouraging. Uh, verses 11 and 12, let me read them for you. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12, let, me, let them encourage you. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So may God the Holy Spirit today help us in our race maybe to start running again and not be sluggish, not be trudging along, but to run with earnestness, with fervency, with perseverance, as the text says, through faith and through patience so that we will inherit the promises, those precious promises that we love. We're going to inherit them. They're going to become reality for us at the end of our race. We just have to keep on going and not give up and not get too sluggish and not get detoured, not let sin sideline us. May we treasure the promises that strengthen our faith. And may we be alert to the warnings which protect our faith. May we use both promises and warnings to drive us, to motivate us, to compel us to be faithful people, faithful men, faithful women who endure to the end for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior.